Hey everyone, welcome to this week's release of the Hashrate Happy Hour podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, the Texas Blockchain Council, a Bitcoin-first, nonprofit industry organization working to make Texas the jurisdiction of choice for Bitcoin mining and blockchain innovation. They will be hosting North America's premier policy conference for Bitcoin and the digital asset ecosystem on November 15th through the 17th in Fort Worth, Texas. For more information, please visit their website at texasblockchaincouncil.org. On today's show, my guest is Nathan Sprague. Nathan is the COO at Outlaw Mining, a company that specializes in sourcing and developing access to dirt cheap power supply at scale designed to power high power computing applications. They work to bring a turnkey solution to individuals and companies that are wanting to build Bitcoin mining sites by pinpointing access to cheap power, developing the land, and getting the site container ready for a mining operation. Nathan brings over a decade of experience and knowledge of utility companies, energy markets, and trading, as well as years of executive level experience at Bitcoin mining companies. On today's show, Nathan and I talk through how Outlaw Mining creates these turnkey sites for Bitcoin mining companies by working directly with power generators, where most of these opportunities are for Bitcoin miners in the United States and the nuances of the different grid systems, which power generators are typically the most advantageous for Bitcoin mining facilities, and why those generators stand to gain the most from having a co-located Bitcoin mining facility on site. And finally, we wrap up by discussing how Bitcoin mining benefits utility companies because of their high load factor. This conversation is absolutely incredible. And honestly, I've already re-listened to it twice now just to soak up all of the information that Nathan shares. If you want to hear more about how and why Bitcoin mining is the perfect tool for increasing more renewable energy, then buckle up for this great conversation. I hope that you enjoy today's show with Nathan Sprague. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. Like I said in the introduction, I'm here with Nathan Sprague with Outlaw Mining. Nathan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Ben. Looking forward to the conversation today. I, I'm especially excited, Nathan, because you come from such a, a cool background of power and energy, and then you've been able to bring that into the world of Bitcoin mining. And what I'd love to start with is, can you give us your background and, and maybe give us the background before Bitcoin mining and then what facilitated the, the move into the Bitcoin mining space? Yeah, sure. I, uh, you know, I studied electrical engineering in school and before I even graduated, I, I knew I had very little interest in doing any sort of what I would consider real engineering type work. I was more fascinated by uh, financial markets and had an opportunity to join a joint action agency and get involved with wholesale power markets and power trading right out of college and, uh, you know, had been off and running in that industry ever since. So it was a great fit to kind of marry, um, you know, some of my analytical and engineering skill sets and background from schooling with you know, kind of the financial markets and trading side of things that come along with power marketing and, and power trading. So, uh, yeah, I got my start out of school with a joint action agency in the state of Missouri. Um, they operated a public power pool 
providing 24-7 full electric requirements for about 35 municipal electric utilities in the state of Missouri. Um, at that time, that was 2007. So everything was largely still what I would describe as bilateral physical trading markets where you actually had to pick up the phone and talk to a dozen different counterparties every hour or at least multiple times throughout the day uh, to make you know, wholesale power transactions and, and buying and selling excess power uh, or capacity that you might have available. So, um, you know, got some good experience in kind of the old days of, of physical bilateral power marketing and trading in those first few years. Uh, after about four years with that group, I had an opportunity to pivot into the world of renewable development and worked for a utility scale solar developer um, in the Kansas City area. At that time, that was 2011. And, um, you know, at that time, a, a three megawatt project was considered utility scale because solar hadn't really evolved sure. uh, into the, you know, hundreds or thousands of megawatts type projects that we see today. So at the time, you know, building even a one megawatt project was a, a pretty large solar project. And we were able to uh, implement uh, kind of a, a cookie cutter uh, type project and replicate that that process with the same uh, tax equity investment structure with a number of Missouri utilities that, that I had existing relationships with. And um, so got a couple years of experience there in the solar development world uh, and then decided to make the pivot back to more what I would describe as more traditional wholesale power marketing and trading. Uh, joined a group um, that was focused on those efforts and was with them for about eight or nine years. Um, and you know, my efforts were largely focused in an area that we called asset management. So um, it's just a scenario where independent power producers and utilities um, largely who had merchant generation would contract with our group to facilitate, um, you know, power trading and, and marketing and optimization strategies so that they could, uh, you know, earn every every revenue possible through the operation of their plant from a trading perspective. So, you know, we were, we were monetizing um, any excess capacity or energy that they had from those plants on a 24 seven basis between our group and our trading desk, as well as implementing hedging type strategies 24 um, seven around the clock. So um, towards the end of my, my tenor there, um, you know, I, kind of started to explore some other opportunities and had an opportunity to join a large scale hosting and Bitcoin mining company in Compute North there uh, in the tail end of 2021. And, you know, my role was largely focused on leading their origination efforts. So I would be responsible for sourcing our new power supply deals, structuring the terms of those transactions and would really be the nexus of developing our new site development locations. Um, so it was just a, a great opportunity for me to leverage all of that wholesale power marketing and trading experience into the world of Bitcoin mining, because as you know, sourcing those power supply deals and, and cheap power supply deals and implementing good energy management practices are such a critical uh, component to making a successful mining operation. Yeah. And that, that, so that's what I was going to jump in and actually just quickly ask if you could maybe, you know, double click on what, what was the interest and maybe it was compute North that sought you out. I, I wouldn't doubt that at all because of, 
you know, how much experience you have, but you know, what was it that was, I mean, and you just kind of touched on it, but maybe you could go a little bit more on, you know, why a Bitcoin mining company would want someone of your caliber and talent in the, the energy space. Yeah. I mean, I, it's easy to look back in hindsight now and see that, um, you know, after roughly a year and a half in the Bitcoin mining industry, um, I can tell you firsthand that there's there's still just not a lot of experts in the energy space um, who are a part of the the large commercial scale Bitcoin mining community. Um, it does look like you know we're on a, a good trend upwards to where more and more people such as myself are making the pivot from you know years of kind of traditional energy marketing trading experience and getting into Bitcoin mining. Um, but yeah, a couple of years ago, there was very few, if any, um, people who are a part of these groups and teams and companies who had, um, a, a lot of experience and relevant experience in, uh, understanding the nuances of how all these different power markets work and how to structure, uh, large scale PPAs and power transactions and implement, uh, you know, energy management and optimization strategies around, you know, different trading products and derivatives um, that seem to be a, a pretty large gaping hole in the industry that folks such as myself could step in and, uh, you know, help fill. Absolutely. And I, I want to get to outlaw mining because that that's where you're at today. But just again, quickly before we get there, um, having that knowledge and that skill set is is that mostly enabling you to go to a power generator and be able to have that intelligent conversation and to be able to actually walk them through why Bitcoin mining would be the right customer for them? Or is it just that these Bitcoin mining companies were really maybe starting to look at vertically integrating power generation within their own operation? Could you maybe touch on that? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious in my mind, you know, especially over the course of these past two years, as large commercial scale Bitcoin mining has scaled up and become more prevalent, um, you know, virtually every utility and independent power producer, I'm, I'm certain over the past year or two has been approached by likely dozens, uh, perhaps even hundreds yeah. of yeah. Bitcoin miners, you know, wanting to source power supply deals or look at developing projects on their systems. And I think, you know, I think most utilities and IPPs can sense pretty early on in, in just a couple of minutes in, of discussion, whether they're speaking with someone who can sort of speak their language and really understands the the complexities and nuances of these markets and tariff rate structures and um, you know details surrounding potential PPA transactions um, they kind of quickly know who knows what they're talking about and and who kind of has experience in those areas and who doesn't and you know like I said it's until recently there weren't a lot of people in the industry who could really, um, speak from experience and speak knowledgeably about those sorts of topics. So I think that's been um, great for us when I was at, you know, both Compute North and now at Outlaw Mining um, to sort of leverage that experience and sort of just provide some instant credibility with the counterparties we're speaking with. Um, and they can kind of tell pretty early on that, you know, this is a group that knows what they're talking about. 
and they don't necessarily have to spend uh, you know, hours or days or weeks on end educating them about how these processes work and, you know, why why everybody who approaches them can't just step in and structure a, you know, $20 a megawatt hour power offtake agreement. Right. Um, it's not yeah. quite as simple as that. So um, that's been good. We've gotten a lot of good feedback from groups um, just expressing their, I guess, gratitude or um, encouragement in working with, you know, a group that has that kind of experience. So um, that's certainly been helpful for us. I can tell you firsthand that these these groups and companies certainly have a good sniff test kind of right out of the gate when they talk to you. I, you know, just a little bit about myself. I, I went from maxing out a 400 amp panel in my house to, you know, hey, let's look at some of the the smaller there's a, a municipal company here in Minnesota, and then there's a group, uh, a, a power generator that operates in the Dakotas in Minnesota. And they they both were very gracious with their time and helping me understand because I, I don't have your background. And so for me, it was like, and I was upfront with them and told them that there's going to be a lot of coaching involved in this, but hey, we'll, we'll get something done if you guys will you know stick it out with me. And they were gracious with their time, but yeah, they can definitely tell right away that, okay, we're going to have to do a lot of educating and, you know, there's maybe some lopsidedness to the, the understanding of how this will all work. Um, so you, yep. you brought up outlaw mining again. And, and so I'd love for you to go into who is outlaw mining and what do you guys do with your customers? Yeah, sure. We are, largely what I would describe as an early stage site developer. So, um, you know, we typically get things started from a regulatory and permitting and legal perspective uh, in that, you know, everything starts by sourcing access to cheap power supply. As you know, that's a critical component in any successful mining operation. So pinpointing access to cheap power supply, whether that's in uh, an existing, you know, deregulated retail choice market like ERCOT or, you know, certain states within PJM or MISO or accessing, you know, an existing tariff rate on a regulated utility, or it could be, um, you know, seeking a one-off either, either partial requirements or, or full requirements behind the meter type offtake structures with a specific generator. Um, but what, whatever that combination is, you know, it starts by sourcing the power supply structure kicking off all of the regulatory and permitting steps in order to get that in place, which, you know, typically requires, um, you know, load studies and interconnection requests, um, and then working with whoever that, that seller is in, you know, structuring the terms around that power supply transaction, getting all that in place. We would also, in parallel to that, typically look to go out and acquire, or at least at a minimum lease land, um, within an area where we know we can, you know, have access to power supply from a, a physical perspective where there's likely, um, you know, excess deliverability capabilities, whether it's certain substations or transmission lines or, you know, directly with a generator where we know they've, they've got infrastructure in place and we wouldn't necessarily have to spend, you know, millions and millions of dollars in system upgrades in order to help facilitate serving a new load at that location. So pinpointing those locations that start with, um, you know, sourcing power, scalable power at a price that works, 
Um, once all that's in place, we get everything executed from a from an agreement perspective, and then we you know invest capital into physically bringing power to the site. So funding those system upgrades, uh, building out you know new circuit to physically bring power to our land parcel that we've acquired, and then at that point we've essentially got a turnkey kind of shovel-ready site development package that we can take to the market and look to sell that to other hosting companies or mining companies so that you know they can bypass all the steps that we just went through. They don't have to worry about sourcing the power supply deals and getting through all of the regulatory and permitting steps. That's all already in place. All they really have to do at that point is acquire our site package and then just bring in their equipment to plug and play. So that's been our model to date. Um, we continue to implement that strategy you know, across a number of sites that we have in our development pipeline. We're also you know, getting to a point where we would like to get a little more vertically integrated here at some point in the near future. Uh, so we are looking at potentially considering uh, funding and owning some additional infrastructure on these sites um, in a more vertically integrated fashion to where we could be doing potentially some hosting and or self-mining or some combination of that ourselves. Oh, okay. I, it, it, what a fascinating business model because, again, I'm, I'm just thinking back to like when I maxed out a panel in my house to thinking I could do one to five megawatts myself. It was comical. Um, <laughs> so it's, you know, having a service like this is, is really, really cool. Um, one thing that comes to mind that I'd, I'd love for you to, to touch on, where are you seeing the majority of your sites? Like, is there like a gravitational pull towards the ERCOT grid or are you seeing, you know, maybe it's ERCOT and MISO, like where, where do you see most of these opportunities pop up? And those are wildly different grid systems with wildly different types of ways to incentivize a large load customer. So I'd, I'd love for you to, to maybe go into like, where are you seeing most of this opportunity? Yeah, sure. And those, those are different markets, but in in many ways still operate much the same um, with a few different nuances. But, you know, I think the short answer to that question is it, it, it really varies. There's not one specific region that I would say is necessarily better than others. Um, you know, we see oppor opportunities all across North America. Um, you know, there, there's certainly markets that are really difficult to justify building projects and developing projects. Um, you know, mainly it all boils down to cost, sure. uh, but also from a regulatory perspective. I mean, I personally don't know of any groups who have developed projects in California because, you know, the, the structure of their wholesale power market is just not all that favorable for mining operations. And from a regulatory perspective, there's just a lot more hurdles and hoops that you have to jump over and, and jump through in order to uh, facilitate development of a new project. So there are a few markets that are are difficult to justify developing projects in. But outside of that, you know, it's it's pretty fair game. I mean, I think the large, I shouldn't say large majority, but a good chunk of commercial scale Bitcoin miners are in ERCOT and, and focusing specifically in that Texas ERCOT market um, for a variety of reasons. I mean, 
Texas's market from a power perspective um, offers, you know, very competitive rates. It's a deregulated retail choice market. So um, you don't have to deal with a regulated utility that has a, a monopoly on a certain territory. Um, it's more competitive. That certainly offers some advantages, but also some potential disadvantages. Um, but like I said, a lot of it boils down to price. Yeah. And, you know, the, the regulatory environment in Texas is a little easier to navigate. There's not nearly as much uh, red tape uh, and regulatory hurdles to clear to develop projects there. So I think the combination of, of competitive power prices and retail choice markets and, you know, fewer regulatory um, hurdles to clear has resulted in a, a lot of miners focusing their efforts in ERCOT and in Texas. But even outside of that, I mean, we have a number of projects in Southwest Power Pool, which is mostly, if not exclusively, all comprised of regulated, um, you know, utilities um, where there's there is no retail choice options. Oh, but you know, we've seen a, a lot of miners focusing efforts in MISO and PJM. Um, anything from munis and co-ops to investor-owned regulated utilities to retail choice states like uh, Ohio and Pennsylvania and others. So it, it really varies. Um, like I said, it, it oftentimes boils down to two things, and that's that's cost of power and you know navigating the, the regulatory environment. So if you can find sure. areas where you've got competitive cost of power and you feel like you can you can navigate those regulatory challenges, then you've likely got a, a good site opportunity on your hands. Okay. And I think it might be a little bit, again, just the, the lack of my understanding of it all. And, and maybe we'll get into it a little bit later on in the conversation where what I'd be curious to know is, you know, so I, you look at my, so I live in Minnesota, so I'm very used to, you know, very cookie cutter rate structures and that I think, I think, again, I'm, I'm not super well versed in all of it, but I think that's because of the regulatory environment around how the, the power companies operate up here. And, and so I'd be curious if it's just being able to talk to these power companies in the right way to understand what those different rate structures are, where you can then find that, that advantageous power rate versus you know, ERCOT where it's deregulated and, and there are some different derivatives and, and hedging products that you can implement to help, you know, maybe smooth out the power costs. So again, maybe we can get into that later in the conversation. What I'd, what I'd like to ask you is when you're looking at these opportunities, are there particular types of power generators that you guys are zeroing in on? Is it, you know, maybe overbuilt renewables that are sitting on a congested transmission or is it, you know, nuclear, I, I, can you maybe touch on, is there a particular type of generator you guys zero in on? Yeah. I mean, frankly, the reality is, is for a number of reasons, Bitcoin mining operations because of their high density, high load factor characteristics with the flexibility in curtailment really offer an array of benefits to any generator. So, you know, whether it's a baseload resource like coal or nuclear or, you know, something in the intermediate range like a natural gas fired, uh, you know, whether it's combined cycle or even simple cycle type resource, 
um, or renewable generator, renewable projects. I mean, there's these facilities really provide a, a wide array of benefits to all of the above. But I would say, generally speaking, you're going to get the biggest win-win with renewables, um, typically because of where they're located. And as you touched on, largely as a result of the congestion and just you know specific nodal pricing that they um, that they face relative to like heavier load zone regions. I mean, typically you're going to see base load resources and even intermediate combined cycle natural gas resources located in a little bit closer proximity to some of your heavier population load zones. Whereas, you know, like with wind and solar, for example, that's not necessarily the case. They're usually in very rural locations um, where, you know, there's as a result, a, a surplus in supply and not a lot of demand in those specific regions. And, you know, somewhat in most cases, limited transmission capacity um, that can restrict their ability to move power from those areas into the heavier load zone uh, population centers. So as such, you know, you can typically achieve uh, a discounted power rate by locating, you know, if, if you're looking at co-locating and physically put, you know, putting a project behind the meter at a generator, you're typically going to achieve uh, a little bit cheaper power rate via the PPA structure with a renewable generator. And then on the flip side of that, the renewable generator is likely going to see greater benefits to them um, than say, you know, a, a coal or nuclear or combined cycle natural gas plant might see because they don't have quite as much congestion or curtailment risk that a wind and solar facility might have. Yeah. And I appreciate that. I, I am fascinated by just Bitcoin mining gets a lot of flack for its energy consumption. And so hearing, you know, this explanation of, well, Bitcoin mining can really come in and be a huge benefit to these generators. I'm excited to go into that more. I have to ask before we go there, yeah. I think of Iowa and West Texas when I think of like big wind farms and big solar fields, not close to a city. So there's not a lot of demand for that generation. What, just like from the very beginning, what is making someone build out those facilities? Like what, what drives someone to go build a bunch of wind turbines in Iowa where they know that there's probably not, you know, even half the demand for what they're going to generate? Why are they doing that? Because they think 10 years in the future, 30 years in the future, there'll be that demand or... Are there other incentives driving the the creation of these generation assets? Yeah, it, it's, in my opinion, certainly the latter. I mean, it, it's really about building locations, building projects in locations where, you know, they can generate the highest volume of megawatt hours. So it, it's really pinpointing the areas where you've got the most abundant fuel source, a.k.a you know, the windiest regions, the, the sunniest regions. Sure. Um, and really kind of saying, you know, demand or load be damned. Like, I don't care necessarily that there's not demand in that specific area. I can build a project that's going to generate, 
more megawatt hours per megawatt of project capacity, then that's going to allow them to earn, you know, more production tax credits. And, and ultimately the way these PPAs or virtual PPAs or even just merchant generators with hedges are structured, um, those are all going to be typically sold at um, a load zone point or a, a liquidly traded hub point. Um, so, you know, they might, I shouldn't say might, they would typically face some basis risk, but they would rather assume that basis risk in the project than to potentially build a project in a location where it's not as windy and they're not going to generate as many megawatt hours. So it's, it really, in most cases, all boils down to um, just fuel supply potential. Where, where are the windiest locations? Where are the sunniest locations? Where I can ultimately generate more megawatt hours per megawatt of installed project capacity. And demand be damned. Like they just, they don't even really. Yep. <laughs> yep. Huh. I mean, even if it's, you know, oftentimes they're, they're selling those offtake arrangements, you know, via their PPA or virtual PPA, how, however they have that structured at a very far off distant location. I mean, they could be, you know, in, in some remote West Texas location, but they're selling that at, you know, West hub, which might be physically, uh, you know, 300 miles from the site location. Um, so yeah, demand isn't necessarily a key factor. Now I think in a perfect world, every wind and solar developer would love to have both. Yeah. Um, but, but that's, you know, unfortunately just not necessarily the case. Okay. You touched on risk a couple of times in there, Nathan, can you maybe walk through what some of those risks are to one of these renewable generators and then how Bitcoin can come in and, you know, is going to help alleviate some of that risk? Yeah, sure. Um, I, I guess, and I'll speak generally, not necessarily pinpointing wind versus sure. solar yeah, one or the yeah. other, but just, just generally either one typically face um, a few key risks, especially as a, well, it really doesn't matter whether they're a merchant generator or um, they've sold an offtake agreement via a PPA or VPPA or whatever. So first and foremost, you've got basis risk. So that just means, you know, your remote location, let's just say for the sake of argument in middle of nowhere, West Texas, you've got a nodal price point at your generator point in the market. And that price point is going to be different from a pricing perspective in most cases than like West Hub or West Load Zone, where an energy consumer would be purchasing their energy. So if, if I'm structuring a PPA contract with um, a renewable generator, I'm typically going to want that settled either at a hub where I can also have some ability to put some additional hedges in because, um, you know, it, that's where the, the liquid trades are occurring at those at those trading hub points or the load zone point where I'm actually buying my energy. I don't necessarily want to transact, you know, 300 miles from where I'm purchasing my my load and my energy from. I don't want to necessarily wear the basis risk as a load. So I'm going to put that on the generator. Okay. So when a when a wind or solar generator sells a PPA or even sells a hedge on a, on a merchant facility, that's typically going to happen at a hub or a load zone point. And, and that pricing point can be very different from 
the price that they're actually receiving in the market at their generator location. So, you know, you might go into a PPA transaction and assume that, you know, I've, I've sold this PPA at a trading hub and I'm assuming I might have a $5 spread between that trading hub and my actual point, nodal point in the market. But if in reality that spread is $10, well, then I've effectively lost an extra $5 um, on my PPA transaction. And so basis risk is a big risk that most wind and solar farms face. And it's, it's very difficult to hedge um, just because of the intermittency and output. There's just not a lot of great hedging products. Um, in some markets, the hedging products are month-long flat blocks. So if you can imagine if you're a wind farm and you, know, you want to put a 40 megawatt hedge in place, for you know the month of march that's 40 megawatts flat every single hour for the entire month of march well the reality is you know you, you look at the intermittency of wind output and it's going to be constantly dancing above that or below that and yeah. so it's just a, a very ineffective uh, hedging product for congestion you have some markets that do offer some more granular options but again it's still it's very difficult to predict you know, hour to hour, what your output's going to be over a, you know, a longer period of time. So those products are just, you know, largely, in my opinion, ineffective for renewable generators. Um, so when you look at the idea of like something like a Bitcoin mining facility, developing their project and physically bringing their load to the generator, now you're settling at your generation point. So, so you've completely eliminated this basis risk of like the price difference between my generator nodal price point and the hub at which I'm settling that PPA transaction. Now I've effectively moved that hub to my generator point because that's where the load is. That's where the off taker is. So you've, you've completely eliminated basis risk from the equation. And then you've got a couple of other issues that most wind and solar uh, facilities face, primarily congestion and curtailment. So um, you know, without a load there, a wind farm might be in an area where there's a dozen other wind farms. And like I said, somewhat restricted on transmission capacity to move that power out of that region yep. to the heavier population centers. And during periods when, you know, there's relatively low demand in the market, you know, maybe it's a, you know, 2 a.m. on a, a Sunday night in April when, you know, the temperature is 65 degrees and, and demand on the system is very low, yet you've got a lot of wind and a lot of wind generation. Well, you know, that area might only have, you know, one gigawatt of total transmission, whereas the sum of all the available generation capacity at that point in time might be two gigawatts. Sure. So, you know, ERCOT or whatever market that is, is going to have to restrict that production down to limit what they have available from a transmission capacity. So your 100 megawatt wind farm that might be capable of selling 100 megawatts for that given hour might be restricted to 50 or 10 or zero um, wow. via, via you know, economic curtailment. Um, so the market could be sending them price signals, um, which in often cases, you know, pushes prices into, into negative territory where they're 
you know, essentially just providing an economic disincentive for you to generate more energy, um, or they just physically curtail you down uh, from a, a reliability grid perspective. Um, but so you might have throughout the course of the year, you know, you might have an extra 10% or 20% of energy that you had available to potentially sell and megawatt hours that you could have sold and collect, you know, production tax credits, et cetera, for and PPA revenues that you weren't able to sell because of those, those constraints. And so, again, when you look at physically bringing a load like a Bitcoin mining load to that facility and locating on site where it's behind the meter, well, now you don't really have a scenario where you're a net generator. If, if you're a 100 megawatt wind farm and I put a 100 megawatt Bitcoin mining load there, assuming my load is online, the generator is never going to actually look like a net generator to the market because my load is going to be consuming that all the time. So you've eliminated any potential uh, curtailment risk there. And, and you're effectively able to sell every potential megawatt hour that the wind or solar farm can generate. So ultimately, it results in you selling more megawatt hours of energy because you're avoiding those uh, curtailment risks or uh, even congestion risk from a pricing standpoint. Um, that's another benefit is, you know, by physically bringing a load to that generator point. I mean, it's just kind of boils down to simple supply and demand microeconomics. You're increasing demand at that point without any change in supply. Well, that's going to elevate the equilibrium price point. So the price that that generator would receive if they're on like an index PPA structure is going to be higher. And then, sorry, real quick. Fi finally, you've got you've got what I would refer to as as volumetric or negative covariance risk, and this kind of pertains to um, hedges. If if you're a wind farm or solar farm and you've sold your merchant facility and you've sold a hedge at you know a, a liquid hub trading point, um, you know there's this concept of basically a negative correlation with renewables, oftentimes where the more fuel source and potential they have to generate energy as that increases it typically is the opposite in terms of correlation to demand and price on the system so a lot of times and it's more prevalent with wind than solar but you see the the windiest hours tend to be hours where there's not as much demand on the system and then vice versa when when you have hours where there's not much wind Typically, those are really cold or really hot, high demand hours. And so you find yourself in this situation where if you've sold a hedge, um, maybe you're a 100 megawatt wind farm and your capacity factor is 40%. So you sell a 40 megawatt hedge to sort of fix revenues for your expected kind of average annual output. Well, that 40 megawatt hedge is going to settle independent of your operation and so what that means is in any given hour let's let's look at an hour where you're in one of those high demand and low output hours well maybe your wind farm's only generating five megawatts of output but you sold 40 on your your forward mm -hmm. future sale on your hedge so um, because of that negative covariance risk the price for that hour might be, you know, a thousand dollars a megawatt hour because there's insane demand on the system. Well, I sold 40 megawatts. And if I'm only generating five, that means I'm only collecting five megawatts of revenue at my 
at my generator point, my 40 megawatts is going to settle independently. So if I sold that at, let's just say $30 a megawatt hour, but the real-time market price is at a thousand, well, I'm, I'm losing $970 oh. a megawatt hour on my hedge settlement, but I, but I don't have 40 megawatts of revenue that I'm earning at my generator point at that nodal point to offset that. I've only got five. So and they're not paying. That, they're that, not paying in on on that difference, are they? they you, what you mean is they just missed out on revenue potential of nine hundred and seventy dollars. No, what I'm saying is they are in essentially what I would describe as a naked short position, where they they've sold a futures contract with the assumption that they're going to physically have energy uh, to offset that. But there's a there's a there's an imbalance there. There's a disconnect it's a huge, because yeah. they sold, yeah, they sold 40 megawatts on their hedge, but they're only actually producing five. So they've effectively got 35 megawatts that's just naked short exposure. And you know during winter storm Yuri and ERCOT especially, um, you know that's where a lot of wind and solar farms who had sold forward hedges really got upside down in a you know, it got ugly in a hurry when prices are at $9,000 a megawatt hour. Yeah. So there, there's that risk, which you can also eliminate by physically bringing a load like a Bitcoin mining load to your site, to your generator and selling, um, you, you know, what I would describe as an as generated PPA, um, which basically just says, look, I'm not going to promise you any volume within any specific hour, as long as I provide you a minimum number of megawatt hours throughout the course of the year, you're going to buy my megawatt hours. And I don't necessarily have to put any hedges or anything in place. Maybe I sold you a fixed price PPA, um, say $25 a megawatt hour. That just means every megawatt hour I generate, you're going to pay me $25 a megawatt hour for that. And, and so I don't have any additional hedges and potential, uh, you know, short exposure risk that you might typically have in the scenario where you don't have the Bitcoin mining load on site and you've got those hedges that are in oh, you know, distant better. locations. It, so, yeah, it seems way yeah. better. <laughs> yep. So, I mean, you, you've really mitigated three huge risks that most every wind and solar farm would face. So, you know, really every renewable developer should be begging for a Bitcoin miner to site a facility either behind the meter at their facility or at least close by um if wow. nothing else just to you know just to bring a, a high density load into that region um to help elevate the equilibrium price point um, at, at their node we'll be right back after this message from our sponsor support for this episode comes from sunnyside digital are you ready for the next bitcoin bull run get ahead of the game by building out your bitcoin mining infrastructure now Sunnyside Digital is your one-stop shop for everything Bitcoin mining, from transformers and switchgear to racks and miners. With a white-glove approach to understanding your needs, they'll provide you with the hardware you need at the most competitive pricing possible. Say goodbye to your sourcing headaches and say hello to Sunnyside Digital. Contact their sales team today at sunnysideinc.ca or via email at sales at sunnysideinc.ca. All right. Now back to the show. Seems like a no-brainer. Absolutely. Um, yep. One one thing that comes to mind when I'm thinking about that is Bitcoin mining loves to run 24 by 7, 365. Yep. 
and talking about that, you know, intermittency, the, the sun goes down, the wind stops blowing. Are these Bitcoin mine mining facilities located at these renewable generators? Are they also plugged into a power source where they can run when the wind stops? That's probably a dumb yeah, question, absolutely. but <laughs> I'm thinking about this like, boy, do the Bitcoin miners must have like a 50% uptime if they're running, you know, at this type of a generator. Yeah, no, good question that you're typically going to be interconnected at, if you're looking at a co-located behind the meter project with a renewable development, um, you're typically going to interconnect to the generator's project substation. So okay. that gives you dual sources of power supply. You're going to be buying megawatt hours off the renewable generator whenever it's providing those, but you're going to get the balance of your demand from the grid. Got it. And then I would imagine that that just blends out a power rate over the span of a year for one of these Bitcoin mining operators then. So that, you know, they're, they're getting pretty yep. advantageous power rates from the renewable generator, but then there, there are some times where they're pulling from the grid and that just kind of smooths out to a blended rate. Okay. Yep, exactly. And the other, you know, there's, there's, an array of benefits provided to the generator that we just went over. But that's, you know, I mentioned earlier, it's, it's truly a, a good win-win because the Bitcoin miner, you know, their alternative might be to just buy load zone pricing power, um, which is typically at a premium to these renewable generator nodal price points. So, you know, maybe my alternative was to buy $45 energy at the load zone price but because of basis and congestion and all that, I could buy that same megawatt hour from a wind or solar farm for $30. And so, you know, maybe I structure my arrangement to sort of split the difference and just say, hey, you know, your node has averaged $30. The, the load zone averages $45. There's a $15 spread there. You know, what if I give you a 7 or $8 difference and you restructure a, a $37 PPA that gives the generator a $7 boost in revenues. So, you know, their opportunity cost is a $7 per megawatt hour benefit. But for you, you know, you're avoiding buying $45 energy from the load zone point. Yeah. And instead you're buying $37 energy from the wind farm. So yeah, um, it, it's a true win-win in, in nearly every scenario. And it, I mean, it just, it sounds so good for the generators, for the Bitcoin mining facilities like this, this sounds Oh, perfect. You know, it's, it seems like this perfect win-win. What I'd be curious to maybe jump into what, what are some of the friction points here? What, what is some of the pushback, if any, or is this like every wind generator is like, Hey, drop a bunch of containers. Let's go. Yeah. I think we've seen the sentiment change a lot over the course of the past year or so as a lot of renewable developers are now starting to realize all the benefits that they can achieve by, you know, having someone like a Bitcoin miner be their, their power and energy off taker. Um, so they're starting to seem more, more and more of them are starting to seem open to that idea. Um, but I think largely it all boils down to the credit profile. Um, you know, with any PPA transaction, um, you know, the off taker is going to have to post collateral or provide 
you know, irrevocable letters of credit or some sort of credit facility that can support the transaction. And, you know, as, as we know, Bitcoin mining players in this space is still a relatively, you know, nascent yeah. technology and, you know, hasn't been around for long enough um, to, to give these companies the sort of balance sheet and credit profile that their typical off taker would be. I mean, if a, if a wind or solar farm is looking to sell a PPA to a utility that's, that's a, you know, $10 billion utility that's been around for a hundred years, they've got a different credit profile yeah. than, you know, yeah. XYZ Bitcoin miner who's been in business for, Two years. Uh, you know, 18 months. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So that that's typically the biggest pushback is just credit profile, uh, collateral and credit requirements. Um, so sometimes Bitcoin miners have to get a little creative okay. in, you know, putting like intermediaries in between the generator and the Bitcoin miner as like an intermediary sleeve off taker um, to provide the necessary collateral and credit requirements to help support the transaction. But outside of that, that's, that's usually the only pushback. Um, do you think that it's that, just credit related? Sure. And I, I appreciate that. Do you think that that'll start to decrease as this industry has been around for longer? And I know you kind of touched on that, but in, you know, in your opinion, do you think that these types of capital requirements, credit, you know, credit requirements, things like that are going to start to decrease. And I ask that because a lot of the conversations I've had, um, I had Bob Burnett with Barefoot Mining who he and his group, they really target stranded, you know, pockets of power and, and, and generation assets. And in our conversation, he, he highlighted that one of the points of friction for him is there are really large capital requirements up front or they want to sign two years of power agreement and just all sorts of things that are really big and extreme compared to basically any other customer that would go and, and, you know, take their, their power. Do you think that'll start to decrease? Um, you know, this may not be the answer that, that most Bitcoin miners want to hear, but, but no, I, I don't, see that decreasing. I mean, I think um, it kind of depends on the nature of your structure. I, I mean, we personally have experience with several utilities where, you know, they might require or, or it, the system in general might require a million dollars worth of upgrades in order to facilitate serving this new load that we're looking at adding to their system. And I think a lot of utilities who are willing to front that cost, they, as a result, like they need a lot of additional collateral or, or credit to be posted to help, you know, justify them spending an extra million dollars on their system to serve your load. But in our case, um, we've oftentimes offered and, and have proceeded to fund those upgrades up front sure. on our own. And in that case, most utilities or IPPs, uh, you know, whether they're renewable generators or whoever, um, are much more willing to say, okay, great. If you're willing to step in and, you know, pay a million dollars worth of system upgrades and sort of own this exclusive rights to this power capacity as, as a result of you funding these upgrades, then absolutely we'll serve you. Um, and they don't necessarily have a lot of additional 
collateral or credit requirements on top of that because you've sort of pre-funded all of those incremental um, cost requirements that they would face. Now, there is a little caveat. If, if it's a utility um, in particular that has to go procure additional power capacity in order to serve your load, um, that might also be either an additional upfront cost or you know they would they would require some pretty stringent collateral uh, requirements um, because oftentimes you know they're going to have to go spend a lot of money with an IPP or or another utility um, structure uh, a bilateral offtake transaction to procure that extra capacity to help serve you know that incremental load so okay. it can vary a little bit but no I think the short answer is I I don't really foresee these requirements going away or or diminishing over time um and that's often the case with any industry sure. and, and business i mean if you're a if you're a widget factory and you approach your utility and say hey i need 100 megawatts of load to help you know me me build widgets here you know they, they don't know anything about the the long-term sustainability of your business and whether they can justify um you know incurring additional cost in order to serve your new load. So yeah. they're going to need, they're going to need some credit from you or they're going to need you to fund some of those upgrades up front or a combination of the two. So th that's pretty common. And I don't really see that going away over time. It's good perspective. So I, I appreciate that. And I think, you know, maybe it's, it's good perspective in general for Bitcoin miners. And I'm certainly not going to speak on behalf of the Bitcoin mining industry, but it, it does feel like some people in the Bitcoin mining industry feel that they're getting picked on when the reality of it is, like you just said, if it's a, you know, a, a, like the fidget spinner. I don't know if you remember that silly little fidget spinner. Like if they wanted yep. to spin up a big warehouse or a manufacturing plant and the utility company said, hey, it's been around for like 12 months, <laughs> you know, and you need us to upgrade immensely, you know, we're going to have to either split that cost or that cost is on you. It's good to hear that that, you know, happens outside of the Bitcoin mining industry. Um, yep. I am curious, kind of a, it's not political, but another, you know, another perspective from you or your opinion on the renewable energy space is supposed to be, you know, the, the direction that we're going as a, a nation you know, carbon free, we want all of our generation to come from renewables. Do you think that there is there a worry that there is so much incentive for Bitcoin mining that the people who want to build out a wind farm or a solar field, they're more incentivized to go either vertically integrate Bitcoin mining or just have a Bitcoin miner be the sole off taker? Is, is that a concern or what do you think about that? Yeah, I don't. I don't know that it's necessarily a concern. I, I think, um, like I said earlier, you know, of all the different types of generator types, I, I think Bitcoin mining serves as a an additional subsidy to help subsidize um, either you know more profitable operations for existing projects or subsidize development of of new project development. Um, specifically with renewables, mainly because of, um, like we talked about, their locations um, in, in the more rural areas um, to, to know that you could potentially have 
a high load factor, you know, flexible off taker that could potentially be um, your end use counterparty there. Um, that's going to provide additional incentive to develop new projects or, or like I said, offer up um, incremental benefits to existing, you know, merchant generators who already have facilities online. Okay. So it's another tool in the tool belt you're saying, and it's not really something to be worried about that the world is going to be consumed by Bitcoin mining or that Bitcoin mining rather is going to consume the world's electrical capacity. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't foresee that happening at all. And, you know, I think, you know, obviously we're familiar of, of kind of how the Bitcoin mining network works with the halving cycles and, you know, how many self-correcting mechanisms are built into the Bitcoin network. Um, because of that, I, I just I don't see a scenario where we're ever going to get to a point where we have like a hundred times the mining capacity that we have online right now. Um, because you know every four years your your revenue gets cut in half. I mean, mm-hmm. what what other business model have you seen where you say, hey, I want to start a business, but I know going in that my revenue is going to get cut in half every four years <laughs> systematically. Um, yeah. That's a that's a pretty, yeah, systematically cut in half. That's a pretty daunting outlook. And because of that, you know, I, I think there's just sort of an invisible cap on the amount of total, you know, mining capacity and, and hash rate that will be dedicated to Bitcoin mining. Because anything more than that, um, you know, you're going to have layers of profitability amongst different miners. And, you know, as, as hash rate climbs or, or hash price dips, you know, those those miners on the fringes of profitability are going to get squeezed out and hash rate's going to come offline and, and thus load is going to come offline. So I don't really foresee a scenario where, you know, the the rate of load growth is increasing, you know, multiples and multiples beyond where it kind of is now, or, or at least will be over the course of the next few years. Certainly after we get through the next couple of halving cycles, I, I just don't see a scenario where we've added, you know, a thousand gigawatts of additional Bitcoin mining load. If that's the case, then then we're all going to be fighting for, you know, fractions of of awards that uh, are, are likely just uh, difficult to justify investment in the, that capital infrastructure. Couldn't agree with that statement more. Um, I think that that is a huge piece that's missing in the Bitcoin will consume the world's power narrative. Um, yeah, so I, I appreciate that a lot. And I think that that's something that that can't be overstated enough. So I, that that's awesome. Um, yeah, I, I am curious, you know, so understanding it's not going to consume the world, but it is a really, really good tool in the tool belt and a really good incentive structure for these guys. Are you starting to see more vertical integration? Are, are some of your customers, and maybe you can or can't talk about it, but are you seeing customers come to you and say, hey, we're going to go build out a new wind farm and we want to designate 50 megawatts to Bitcoin mining? Definitely. I think, you know, two years ago, no IPP or utility would have ever considered that. But I think nowadays, um, 
the sentiment has shifted. I think a, a lot of these IPPs and generators, and, and it doesn't matter whether they're renewable or, you know, coal or nuclear or, or gas fire generation or what have you. I think they're starting to realize the tremendous power that being vertically integrated and having a Bitcoin mining or, or just data center in general on site provides to them in terms of like giving them this sort of additional call option on um, an ancillary revenue stream. Um, you know, being a, a true, a truly vertically integrated hash or cash scenario. And if, if you own everything, if you own the fuel source and the generator and you're interconnected to the grid and I can sell power to the grid or, you know, off takers, or I can be mining Bitcoin because it's more profitable. I mean, you, you truly have these, you know, effectively this switch that says, you know, what's more profitable, mining Bitcoin or selling power to the grid? Um, and I think there's a number of more forward-thinking IPPs who have really started to take a close look at this, and some of them have implemented now, you know, some smaller, you know, what I would describe as maybe more pilot project type size oh, wow. uh, projects. But you know, I, I personally foresee the future as a scenario where it's largely the utilities and IPPs who are vertically integrated with their power sources, who are the ones who are not only mining, but, but the most profitable miners um, within the global, global mining marketplace. And, and frankly, same goes for the off-grid scenarios where you've got oil and gas producers who have got, you know, flare gas that they can monetize. Um, Same scenario applies for them. It's like, okay, you're telling me I can, I can access more oil in the ground because I don't have to worry about, you know, for, you know, flare gate, flare gas mitigation issues and getting air permits and things like that. Yeah. I can capture that. I can, uh, I can run that through a generator and empower a Bitcoin mining operation and be this kind of fully vertically integrated oil and gas and Bitcoin mining uh, operation where, you know, I've essentially cut out the middleman of other developers and Bitcoin miners. You know, I think ultimately they'll be, the most successful and most profitable uh, mining operations in the future moving forward. Yeah, I I'm so excited to see, and I think it's going to be near term. I'd I'd love your opinion on this. I think within the next five years, you're going to see more and more of it, and it's probably going to become more public. Also, you should probably copyright the phrase "hash or cash." That's that's pretty slick. I like that. That's. <laughs> Well, it'd be a pretty pretty cool name for a pilot, you know, pilot program at one of these utility companies. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I remember, you know, last year before, you know, before we saw the the big pullback in the price of Bitcoin. So this would have been, you know, maybe January, February ish, twenty twenty two, as as we were talking about pitching this idea to IPPs. You know, IPPs especially, you know, they know. PPAs and and power offtake agreements and tolling agreements. I mean, that's their their language. They understand that. So to go to them, and I think at that point in time, the break even price uh, of Bitcoin was about two hundred dollars a megawatt hour. So <laughs> to potentially go to an IPP, I mean, if you were to approach, let's just say a, a combined cycle natural gas plant and say, look, we, you can install some additional infrastructure here. And it's going to give you a, a call option on 
essentially a $200 per megawatt hour PPA. Would you be interested? Granted, the, the CapEx, it's not free to build out that infrastructure. It's not free to acquire ASIC machines. But to know I've essentially got this $200 a megawatt hour PPA that I'm monetizing whenever I want. And you know if, if the power market happens to jump to a price above that, and I can sell power into the market at $500 a megawatt hour. Well, I'll do that. You know, I'll flip the switch and sell it to the to the market. But you know, this idea of like potentially, quote unquote, selling a you know $200 a megawatt hour PPA, any IPP would fall out of their chair if you would offer the, them you know that <laughs> that type of a contract under a normal PPA negotiation circumstance. Um, they'd be chomping at the bit to that. And I think, like I said, a lot of the more forward thinking ones have started to you know run the numbers and realize the potential there um, so we've certainly seen some new developments in that realm I think a lot of it has to do with the language that was around the Bitcoin mining industry honestly the way you're saying it right now I think highlights that point where if you can put it into their language and and tell yes. them and put it on their desk as this is a two hundred dollar a megawatt hour PPA do you want yep. it? I mean, yeah, they fall out of their chair or they'll think you're bullshitting them because it's like, where, where are you finding that? So yeah, I, I, I'm so excited to see how the future kind of shakes out with all this. Um, so, you know, Nathan, as we kind of wrap up the show, I, I would, I would love for you to touch on, you know, for a, a, a power company or a, an operator of a renewable generation asset, that might not be understanding this, you know, what, what would you say to them? And, and I guess this is kind of the outlaw mining pitch, but what, what would you say to them to maybe have them reconsider a, a Bitcoin mining operation? Yeah, I think I'd love to focus on the utility side of things since, since we kind of already touched on a lot of the benefits to renewable generators or generators sure. in general and, you know, eliminating basis risk, eliminating a lot of that negative covariance risk and, and volumetric price risk. But from a utilities perspective, this is something we haven't touched on and I think is really important. And I think when you start to have conversations with utilities, eventually the light bulb goes off with them and they realize what a tremendous benefit it is to have a Bitcoin mining facility site a system or a load on their system. And, and that is because of the high load factor that Bitcoin mining operations can operate at, coupled with their flexibility and curtailment capabilities. So, you know, having a high load factor load on any utilities system in general is seen as a very good thing in the eyes of the utility. And, and load factor, for those who may not be aware, is simply the ratio of average load divided by peak load. So if you think of you know, if you've got a, a 10 megawatt Bitcoin mining facility, if your average load throughout the course of the year is 9.5 megawatts and your peak load is 10, well, you've got a 95% load factor. That means it's just very, very consistent throughout the course of any period of time. Well, residential loads are like, you know, 20, 30, 40%. Yeah. Even a lot of commercial and industrial loads are, you know, 50, 60, maybe 70% at best. Um, so when you start talking about, you know, 90 plus percent load factors, 
that's really appealing for a utility um, because ultimately what it boils down to is they're able to spread more megawatt hour energy sales across the same bucket of fixed costs um, of, of capacity costs. So anytime you can help a utility elevate their system load factor, it, it just means more incremental energy sales per the same unit of fixed capacity costs. And one thing I touched on with a group we were talking with a, a month or so ago is really for a Bitcoin miner, to, so two things, you can think of a Bitcoin miner, if you think of their peak load as coincident to the utility system peak, and if the Bitcoin miner has signed up to participate in a curtailment program where they say, look, anytime you know your load is as a system is in the top, you know, two or three percent of your peak demand hours, you can just tell us and we'll come offline. So what that means is as a Bitcoin mining, their their coincident peak load, coincident to the utilities overall system peak, is zero because they've said, hey, I'll come offline. When you're at your peak system conditions, I'll yeah. come offline. So my the denominator in that equation is effectively zero. So so I've got you know, a high load factor load, but really my peak load coincident to the utilities overall system peak is zero. So I've effectively got an infinite load factor. And that's just really, really powerful because if you look at most utilities load duration curves, which is like the percentage of time throughout the year that they're at certain load points, you see that most utilize 25% roughly of their capacity less than 5% of the time. Meaning if the utility has a, a 1,000 megawatt peak, so they've got 1,000 megawatts of capacity okay. plus capacity margin reserves, but let's forget about that. <laughs> yep. But roughly roughly 250 megawatts of that, that top portion of 25% of their capacity is only used 5% of the time. So if you're a Bitcoin mining load, and you say, hey, let me let me size my facility inside of that 25%. So in this case, 250 megawatts. You say, hey, I'll put a 250 megawatt load on your system, and I promise to, to curtail and be offline during the top 5% of your load hours. Well, what that does is it allows the utility to drastically increase their overall system load factor because your load factor is so high but they don't have to go procure a single incremental megawatt of generation capacity to serve your load. You're just making more efficient use of the existing capacity that they have. So again, that's just really powerful for a utility to know that they've now got a shit ton more yeah. megawatt hours to spread across the same fixed capacity cost. So just a lot of, benefits um to the utility that i think you know a lot of utilities may not think about when you when you approach them about wanting to build a site on their system you know their immediate reaction is oh man i'm gonna have to go procure uh, another 100 megawatts of capacity to serve your load and you say not necessarily uh, you know if i agree to a curtailment program then you know we can fit this new load within your existing capacity stack and you won't have to change a thing. And all we're ultimately going to do is, is boost your system load factor. It's going to be good for, um, you know, everybody. Um, I don't know that they're necessarily going to go lower rates as a result of you siding on their system, 
but they're ultimately going to have a more efficient operation via a higher load factor. That is such an incredible point. And Nathan, I feel like we could do a whole nother podcast episode on just the actual like utility and, and that portion of this alone. Um, yeah, it's such a, a cool thing to keep in mind. And so eloquently said, um, because I know some of these power companies are not thinking of that, that aspect of it. So that that's really incredible. Um, Nathan, I'd love to, to end with, you know, giving you a chance to let our listeners, you know, or give our listeners a way to get in touch with you. Uh, maybe, you know, how do they find outlaw mining, get in touch with you or your sales team? Uh, maybe just kind of wrap up with that. Yeah, sure. You can find us at outlawmining.com. Um, easiest way to get in touch is is drop us a note through our contact form on the website. Um, if you'd like to reach out to me individually, please feel free to do so. Um, you can email me at nathan at outlawmining.com and love to hear from you. We've got a variety of site developments in our pipeline ranging from anywhere from small five to 10 megawatt sites to 50 megawatts. Sometimes uh, we've got a variety of sites, uh, anywhere between 100 and 300 megawatt sites available um, from a variety of different generator types and market locations. So uh, got an array of options to, to suit your needs if you are in the, uh, in the market for power capacity to help support your mining operation. Great. Nathan, really appreciated the conversation today. This was mind blowing for me and, and really exciting to, to go through all of that. I think the listeners will, will be able to take away a lot of good nuggets of information for, you know, what the benefits are for a Bitcoin mining load on their grid or at their, their renewable generator. Um, really appreciate the time. Thank you. Yeah. Likewise. Thanks for having me. All righty. You take care.